The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. I say it a lot when I get up here, but uh, church planning is a fun adventure. We keep learning new lessons. This morning was fun. Hey, look at that. All right. So uh, you guys met Jamin. We're excited. Uh, Jamin and I, are, it was our first week uh, kind of tracking together. And so though Jamin and I go back a ways, I don't know what, a long time. It's a really long time. 10, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And uh, we're, cool, we're glad to have him. And also, I'm, uh, his wife loves to be singled out in public. But that is Lori back in the back beside Megan in the pink. That's, her, that's his wife, his, his uh, obviously better half. You just have a conversation or two with her, and you'll uh, figure that out. That's true. Um, so we're really excited to have them on board and uh, you know, enjoy joining us in the adventure that is church planting, just period, church planting at the Myrtle Beach in particular. Uh, that is also cool this morning to have uh, Bruce and Jackie Redmond back in the back. You see them back right there beside Jamin. That's Bruce and Jackie. Uh, Bruce is the head of church planting. Uh, I don't remember your real title, but he's the head of church planting for the Southeastern District for the EFRI, which is the den- denomination that we're a part of. And uh, he's an awesome dude. He's been my coach through this process. And his wife, Jackie, is awesome. She's uh, a little dynamo, if you, uh, if you don't mind me saying little dynamo. But she's a little, little spitfire. If you just have a conversation with her before you leave and mention something about discipleship and about women discipling other women and uh, put your seatbelt on and you'll, you're in for a, a fun treat. So we're glad to have them here. They're uh, hung out with... Uh, Landon and Megan and myself, not Megan, Megan was out of town with Keetra last night with, uh, and Sophia and myself, and uh, that was fun. They'll be hanging out afterwards a little bit before they head up to another church plant that's up in North Carolina. Uh, so we've been working through the book of Mark. There's 16 Sundays between the beginning of the year and Easter, and so we've been taking a chapter a week. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, so that's been a kind of a fun journey to go through together. Um, so we're closing in today. We're going to be uh, chapter 14, and that'll be a lot of fun. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're, uh, we'll hit the, hit the book and study and see if God speaks to us, which I'm sure he will because it's his word, and that's what he loves to do, and uh, then we'll move on. Father, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for the opportunity for us to come together and to worship you. God, we come in from all kinds of different backgrounds, all different kinds of weeks. Uh, some of us, as Dale mentioned, have had a great week, and some of us have been trying some of us in here are, are tired, some of us in here are hurting uh, physically or uh, emotionally or mentally, and uh, I just pray that wherever each person is this morning, that you would meet them, meet us right where we are, and that you would speak to us. God, I pray you would guide us this morning. God, I pray you would show us Jesus in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So, um... My, as a father of two, I have two kids, but under the age of seven. I'm a six-year-old girl and a three-year-old son. And as a father of two and uh, a husband and 
on a business and a church planter and a few other things that are going on. Between all of that, my exposure to culture, like the, the, regu- the culture that's going on around me is much, much smaller than it used to be. Um, I, I don't know that I could tell you much about pop music. I try to stay as informed as I possibly can, but it just kind of passes me by. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the last time I saw a movie that wasn't animated. Yeah, I can't tell you when that was. Uh, and I can't tell you what it was either. Um, I'm a big, uh, even the movies I want to see, I don't get a chance to see them very often. My, my world has kind of slimmed down this very, very narrow little slit. And, and, and in this slit, a very, very big deal recently has been the movie Frozen. Anybody track with the movie Frozen? Um, when Bruce and Jackie were at our house last night, uh, Sophia made a point to go and grab the movie and, and, and ask them, like, have you seen it? Like, look at this movie. It's frozen. You know, let's, let's talk about this movie because it's the deal. Uh, Landon will ask, will be, literally, this is, this is absolutely true, will be in the grocery store or a restaurant and he'll say, because he doesn't know, like, like, etiquette of, like, in being in public yet. And so he'll say, hey, man. Hey, man, because it's a man. Or, hey, hey, girl, hey, girl, if it's a woman. And, and he'll say, hey, you seen Frozen? <laughs> or he'll say, you seen Frozen tonight? Like, 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 Because he just thinks, like, you go and do whatever you do, then you go home and watch Frozen. Like, that's, that's what you do. And somebody asked me yesterday, how many times have you guys seen Frozen? And I, I have no idea how how many times it's been. Every now and then, Megan and I will just kind of hide the movie. I, will, I don't know if Megan does. I'll kind of hide the movie away so hopefully they won't see it. Uh, the, the, the movie, it's not just a big deal in my household. There's a, like a million households it's a big deal in. Right now, Frozen, here's the interesting fact, in case you don't know, Frozen has sold 1.1 billion, with a B, billion dollars at the box office. That's not including movie sales, merchandise, anything else. 1.1 billion dollars in box office. The soundtrack, because that's the big deal. Uh, Sophia and Landon, when they're not watching the movie, we're listening to the soundtrack. Or, and we're not listening to the soundtrack, I'm singing it to myself because I've heard the, the songs over and over and over again. I'm catch myself in the car by myself. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to even sing the songs for you, but and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm humming them to myself. I'm, I'm unpacking for church in the morning, and you know I'm, I'm humming the Olaf, you know, summer song, and it's just the, it, this. It has sold 1.8 million copies. That's not counting Spotify or play. It's 1.8 million copies have sold. It has been at the number one on the box office on the on the Billboard list for eight weeks. Eight weeks. Shakira, am I even pronouncing that correctly? Shakira, her new album came out this week. The, uh, the, the Frozen soundtrack's been around for months. She couldn't top it. It's still reigning supreme at the top. I know the songs backwards and forwards. And in case you, anybody has not seen the movie Frozen, you have not seen the movie Frozen. Wow, that is, in my world, that's amazing. So, so here's the story. Here's the basic outline of the, of the movie Frozen. So there's these two sisters. One of, uh, Elsa is the oldest sister, and Anna. Inexplicably, uh, for some reason, uh, Elsa has this weird magic power where she, like, 
can freeze things and not just freeze things, but she can like has over everything that's like frozen, she can create snow and snowmen and they come to life and it's kind of weird and there's the, I don't know, it's, it sounds really weird and it is weird, but she has this magic power and she accidentally one day when she's using this magic power to play with her sister, she freezes her, her head. And so then they had to take her to these rock trolls, and the rock trolls take the memory from her. And wow, this sounds really, really bizarre as I'm saying it out loud. In my world, this is normal. But so anyway, so so Elsa, because she has this power she can't control, she stays locked away from Anna, Anna, and, and their parents die. And it's just the two that are stuck. And then the day comes where Elsa, the oldest sister, along with the magic, like freeze you power like she is going to be uh crowned queen of whatever this the land is like believe it or not i can't remember that so anyway so they're going to crown her and they've been locked away inside the gates of the castle for their whole lives and the gates get open and so they have a big party for the coronation and everybody's invited from the neighboring kingdom. Stick with me, Armand. So everybody's invited from the neighboring kingdoms and this one guy comes his name is hans and Anna, who's the younger sister, she's kind of, she's pretty, but she's kind of goofy and, you know, kind of clumsy. And she meets Hans, and he's kind of the same way. He's the youngest kid of his family, and he's kind of goofy, and he's kind of clumsy. And they hit it off in the party, and they end up deciding they, they just met that one day, they're going to get married. It's like a love story. It's a beautiful love story. Well, they're already shaking their head like the girls are like, no, no, he's evil. Because see, what they're already cheating ahead to is that at the, at the, towards the end of the story, Anna thinks that she has found her true love and she has to have an act of true love that's going to unfreeze her heart because it didn't tell you like she, her heart gets frozen in the meantime. And anyway, you should have written the movie and just join me in the, the pleasure that it is to just be fully plunged and frozen. But, but so they, she has to have an act of true love that's going to unfreeze her. And Hans has her in this room, and the, she thinks she's going to get true love's kiss from him. That's going to like, like the other stories. It's going to make everything good. And he he leans in like he's going to kiss her. This is Anna. He leans in like he's going to kiss her, and he says, "I wish somebody loved you." And then you see like this guy who was like who was like really who was really nice and sweet. He's evil. He's been plotting against her. He's going to leave her to die in this room. She gets betrayed at the very end. I wish there was somebody who loved you, but it's not me. And he leaves her to die in the room. Now Olaf, the talking snowman, comes in and saves her. Saves the day. And that's a whole. We can talk about that afterwards if you want to talk about Olaf. But Hans, who we thought was a really good guy, who Anna thought was a really good guy, who thought he loved her, so I thought they understood each other. They had this whole song that they sing. It's one of John Weaver's favorite songs in the world that they sing to each other where, like, you know, we found our home with each other because we're both kind of goofy and weird. But that's not to be because he's tricking her the whole time. It just makes you hate him. I hate Hans. I mean, the first time I watched it, I was like, I was like, oh, he's, he's a nice guy. And now every time I see it, I'm like, I growl at him through the whole movie. Like, you're just tricking her. You're playing with her heart. You're going to betray her. Because there's something about betrayal, isn't there? There's something about betrayal that hurts more than other kinds of hurt. Have you ever been betrayed before? It, it stings a little worse. 
Because if an enemy comes in and they wound you, they hurt you, they take something from you, like it, it hurts to be to have that taken, or it hurts to be wounded, but you like kind of saw it coming, right? Like maybe you have a rival at work, and you're both kind of buying for the same job, but do you know your arrival? And so when they kind of backbite against you, like it's not a surprise. What's what hurts more is when you have that friend at work. You know what I'm talking about? The friend at work, and you've been getting along, your buddies, but the position comes open, and you both act like you're all nice to each other, but before you know it, like you're, you find out your friend, your buddy, has been spreading rumors about you, or has been talking bad about you to the boss. That hurts worse, doesn't it? Because it, it kind of throws you off. And you, you, like, you, you, have a, uh, you have a girlfriend, you just broke up, and your buddy, you find out, like, called her that night, sent her a text the next morning. You thought he was your buddy, but he's not really. Betrayal hurts worse than other kinds of hurt. Like, other guys, like, see she's on the market, they jump on it. That's not a surprise, but when your buddy does it, it hurts and it stings. There's something about betrayal because you not only lose what they have taken from you, but you've lost your relationship with each other. And it causes you to, to kind of question, like, life. Doesn't it? Like, like, if I was wrong about this person, what else am I wrong about? What other relationships am I wrong about if I'm wrong about this person? And the more you're betrayed, the less and less you're willing to open up to people afterwards because you are kind of kind of got to guard a piece of yourself. Betrayal hurts worse because not only is somebody taking something from you, but you have, if somebody's your friend, if somebody's their buddy, if somebody's your husband or wife or lover, and you've shown your soft underbelly to them. You've been real with them. You've been vulnerable with them. And they take advantage of that. The wound goes deeper because you didn't see it coming. It hurts more because it's not just the whatever they're taking from you. It's the loss of that relationship. What do you, what do, you do with betrayal? When, when we... And when we have been betrayed, when we have been betrayed, when we have been betrayed, when we've been betrayed, welcome to a church plant, guys. When you've been betrayed, have I said that? When you have. Loss has to come from somebody. It, it hits you deep and it gets you hard. And, and when you're in a, a situation like that and you're going to talk to somebody, you want to be able to talk to somebody who know, who know can relate to you. Well, we're going to look today in Mark chapter 14. And we're going to see that Jesus can be able to relate to us who have experienced betrayal. Jesus has been telling his followers, his disciples, his closest buddies and pals, they've been living together, eating together, working together, ministering together, fishing together, telling stories. They're up late at night for three years. And he's been telling them that he's going to go and he's going to suffer and he's going to die in Jerusalem. And now they head into Jerusalem. They've gotten here and in his greatest hour of need. We're going to see that his relationships seem to be falling apart. Let's look at those. First of all, let's look at Judas. He's one of his disciples. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. 
of Mark 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'm going to try because if you guys haven't noticed, Hudson is out today. And so the computer is unmanned, and that's why the songs were terribly, like, paced, the slides this morning, because I was trying to run it. And the people who were a part of our core group, like, way before we launched, and uh, they know I am very, very terrible at, at doing the songs. And so I'm going to try to take us through this morning. Uh, if you look at Mark 14, verse 1 and 2, look at that. So far, we're good. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that's Jesus, by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So Jesus was super popular, uh, particularly with the, the crew from Galilee, which is the area of the country that he was from. And so he was super popular, had a big following, and he had, he had really ticked off the leaders of the Jews. And they wanted to try to figure out how to get him out of the way, how to kill him, as it says right here. To, and they wanted to arrest him by stealth. They wanted to do it secretly because the, they were afraid that the crowds were going to be in an uproar if they found out what was going to happen. And there was going to be a riot. So they said, well, let's find a way that we can get him secretly. But the, the problem was they needed, and this is something I didn't really understand as a kid. Like, why, did, why was it necessary for, for somebody to betray Jesus? Well, because Jesus is just like, it's just himself and he's hanging out at night. And so where is he going to be? They have to have somebody who's going to tell him where he's going to be. So Jesus had these 12 people that have been around there had been his boys. They've been his boys. Anybody grew up in church and you can name them? There were 12 disciples. Jesus called to help him. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James' brother, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James' son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. So he's had these 12 guys that have been, you guys impressed by that? I also know the books of the Bible by song. But I won't take you guys there now. So there were 12, 12 apostles he had called to be around him. They were his boys. They'd been walking with him for three years. Like they were tight. You got some boys that you're tight with? Like these are like college buddies. They've been living together, eating together, hanging out together constantly, 24 hours a day, three years. These are his boys, Peter, James, John, all the other guys, the ones that we never talk about, and then Judas at the end. Well, they're his boys. Like we know, we've cheated ahead if you know the story. Like you know what happens with Judas, but Judas is one of the 12. They're close. They're close to him. They're his friends. In fact, here's an interesting idea that Jesus at some point knew who was going to betray him. He knew which of his buddies around him was going to, was going to turn on him and turn him in. He may have known, we don't know this, he may have known from the moment he saw Judas and called him to follow him, he may have known, you're going to end up stabbing me in the back. But even if he didn't know the beginning, at some point he knows who it is. And he doesn't kick him out. He doesn't, like, make him sleep outside the circle. He doesn't, he's, he's, not only is he in the inner circle, but he's the treasurer, which is kind of crazy, for, for Jesus' ministry. And we were told elsewhere that Jesus had been, had been stealing, kind of taking some off the top of the ministry for a while now. So you have... So you have people who are looking for a way to get Jesus by secrecy and stealth and to kill him. And now you have Judas who sees an opportunity. Look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. Now think about that. Judas, they didn't come to Judas and say, hey, would you give up Jesus? Judas saw the opportunity knew that people were looking for a way, and he approached them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. 
that Judas, we see a betrayal of trust. We see greed. We see selfishness. We see selfish gain. We see, and we also see public humiliation. I don't know if, how you guys have ever dealt with betrayal before. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, a friend at work. Maybe you haven't had any great betrayal, but small betrayals, betrayal of trust. You told somebody something and you didn't think they were going to tell anybody and they went and tell, told everybody else. There was betrayal. It hurts you. One of the most embarrassing things that I, one of the things I've heard talked to couples who've dealt with betrayal in terms of their marriage or in terms of boyfriend girlfriend kind of setting, that one of them is stepping out on the other, is that is the public humiliation. It's that everybody knows this is going on, or everybody knows this has happened. Somebody who's close to you has turned on you, and it's public. It's public humiliation that hurts. Jesus is dealing with. He, will deal with somebody who is inside his inner circle who's betraying his trust for selfish gain and it's publicly humiliating. Then not only just Judas turn around and, 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 and turn on Jesus, but he had three, out of his boys, those 12 boys that are tight with him, he had three that were boys above the boys. There is there is inner circle. You know, you, know the, you have those guys or you have those friends that you can call on at any time? Like, you know, like, these are with me. They know what I'm thinking. They, we have the inside jokes. We, we laugh. We don't even have to talk sometimes because they know exactly what's going through my mind. That's Jesus with Peter, James, and John. They're his boys, boy. They're there inside the inner circle. Look at verse 32. No, actually, is that right? No, no, no I'm sorry. Let, let's go ahead. Um, Let's look, I'm sorry guys. Let's, 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 let, me, let me finish the story with Judas before I jump to them. I apologize. Verse 17 through 20. Uh, let me give you the ending. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, that's Jesus. Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him after one another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to him. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas is sitting right at the table with him. Jump ahead to verse 43. I'm sorry. It's jumping around. Then immediately he was still speaking. He's in the garden now. He went alone. He went alone to pray. He went alone to, with Peter, James, and John. Are we getting ready to go look at? And immediately while he was still speaking, Jesus, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is him. Seize him and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, that means teacher, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. And as I said, look at his, we see, uh, we see his boys. Jesus is, uh, he's troubled, he's looking, he knows that the cross is coming, and so he decides he's going to go away to pray in the garden. So he calls his closest guys, Peter, James, and John, come with me to the garden. We're going to pray together. Verse 32, and they went up to a place called Gethsemane. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with this. 
Joy of a church plan. They went up to a place called Gethsemane and they said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So Jesus is looking, he's looking death in the face. He knows that death is coming. It's right around the corner. Like they're getting ready to come and take me away. And I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and I'm going to bear the sins of the whole world. I'm going to bear the wrath of the Father upon me for the sins. And he's, he's looking ahead and, and it's, he's, he's sorrowful. It's, it's, it's heavy. He's, he thinks he's going to die. And he started to pray, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, what you will. And he came in, and he came back to them. He came back to his boys. You know what? We're going to give up on that. You can use your Bibles. You can do it. There you go. All right. I'm distracting myself trying to do that. And he said... Um, and he came to him and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. So Jesus is about to, he feels he's, 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 going, to, he's going to die. He's staring death in the face. He thinks, like he's, he's, he's troubled to the point of death here in the garden. He calls his boys to come with him. Come and hang out with me. Come and help me. Come support me. Come pray with me. He calls them to come with him in the garden. And they can't stay awake. They keep falling asleep. And every time he goes back to them, they fall asleep. They can't pray with him. Verse 39, and again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were very heavy, and they, and they did not know how to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Sinners, rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. With Peter, James, and son, John, we see the betrayal of indifference. You ever had friends that just weren't there supporting you the way you needed them to at the time? Maybe they're too caught up in what was going on in their own lives. Maybe you've had betrayal at church and the, the people around you just didn't support you and help you as much as you needed them to be. Jesus knew what that was like. He's in the hour of death. He's facing, he's staring down the barrel. And yet his boys, this, the three closest to him, can't even stay awake to pray with him. And then we're going to look at Peter. Look at verse 29. Peter said to him, this is after Jesus said, you all are going to, you're going to turn away from me. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, as Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Verse, verse 53, 
You ever had somebody that was like tight that said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. Maybe you had somebody that said their vows with you. You stood before God and man and professed your love and connection to each other forever and ever till death do us part. You ever been, ever, ever experienced somebody who, who made promises and they turned around and they just didn't keep or could not keep those promises? Verse 53, they led Jesus, this is after he's been arrested, to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. So just a couple of hours before, Peter said, even if the rest of the world denies you, I will be with you to the very end, even if I have to die. And then when they come and arrest him, like Peter's like, uh, I'll follow you from a distance. Then let's see what happens. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, this is during Jesus' trial, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are. You ever saw somebody, I, I was in the, I was in the, get my hair cut the other day. And I saw somebody across the, the shop, somebody else was cutting their hair. And I knew like I recognized her. We kind of kept looking at each other like, yeah, 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 no. I think I, I was like, I didn't want to say anything. I'm like, I think I know her. And they're like, no. I started getting like, yeah, I think I know her. And then finally I was like, yeah, yeah, I do know you from somewhere. Where do we know each other? And that, that's what's going on when they're like, yeah, yeah, you are one of those. In verse 71, but he, that's Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man. We think that possibly what he was doing was that he was cursing by God. May God kill me, but may God strike me dead. May God lop my arms off, something like that. I do not know this man of whom you speak. He said, I do not even know him. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You ever have somebody that betrayed you so much that they just did not even know you? They denied any sort of identification with you? Maybe you were in school and the you weren't part of the cool crowd, and the cool crowd came up, and one of them is kind of on the edge of either being like the not the really not cool crowd, like the nerd crowd, or or, or the cool crowd. Like they just decided, like I'm out, and they just threw you under the bus, and they're like they're like, yeah, I don't know who that weirdo is over there picking his nose, and you know, I don't know who that is. So at some point, have you ever experienced sort of betrayal? Somebody's like, I don't even know who they are. I'm not a part of them at all. Jesus experienced, he's in his time of need. He's staring death down the barrel. And all of his boys, all of his peeps, everybody are totally denying him. Peter, James, John, the closest ones, they're turning on him. Judas, one of the 12, has for some money given him up to be arrested. How do you recover from betrayal? 
What do you do with it? Because when, when you're betrayed, there has to, there, there's a, when you're hurt, there's a loss. Somebody hurts you and, and you have to absorb that hurt. What do you do? Do you, do you, do you try to hurt them back in return? Do you, do you kind of hold it in? Do you take it? Do you, do you hurt? Like, what do you do with betrayal? It has to go somewhere. The, the hurt that's been inflicted against you, you have to do something with that hurt. You either have to strike back or you have to absorb it, but it has to go somewhere. Because you've been wrong. You've been sinned against. How do you even things out? How do you get justice? Because justice has to happen. Like the, the pain that doesn't just go away. You can't just say, I'm not going to hurt anymore. Because betrayal hurts deep. And it hurts hard. It hurts the underbelly that you can't get the sword out. You can't get the knife out. Somebody has to absorb the loss. You're either, you're either going to absorb it in yourself and be hurt and betrayed, or you're going to strike back and try to make them hurt like you're hurting and see if that makes you feel better. What if it's, a, what if it's so destructive that you can't absorb the loss? What if you've been betrayed and it's so deep, it's so close, it's so hurtful, you don't even, you don't know where to put it, what to do with it? What do you do? Let's look at one more picture of betrayal in this chapter. And we'll wrap up. Verse 26 through 28. This is after Jesus is, uh, Judas has decided he's going to betray Jesus. They're having a Passover meal, the last meal, which actually the communion that we're going to have together in a few minutes is a picture of, is a remembrance of. This is the first time that this meal has happened. Verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He said, You are all going to betray me. You're all going to run away. And then look at verse 48 and 50 through 50. And Jesus said to them, just whenever he's getting arrested, and Jesus said to them, have you come out against, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And then verse 50, and they all left him and fled. Jesus is in his greatest hour of need. And everybody around him betrays him and leaves him. This happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's sort of a picture of a betrayal that had already happened in the garden, in another garden. In the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the story of the earth, we see a garden, the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve are placed there. And God, the Father, tells them, you can do whatever you want, just don't do this. And they fail. Eve fails and Adam fails in the garden. And now fast forward to another garden. Jesus stands, everybody around him, and they all fail him. Everybody leaves him in his greatest hour of need when he's staring at death. Everybody betrays him. Because you know what the truth is? Though you and I have been betrayed, and some of us have been betrayed greatly. We are the betrayers. 
Everybody has fails. Everybody has betrayed God. We betrayed each other. We owe a great debt to each other. Have you betrayed anybody? Have you betrayed trust? Have you have you gone to somebody's back? Have you done things that you shouldn't have? Have you betrayed somebody else? Have you betrayed God? Have you done what he said not to do? Have you lived your life in such a way he told you not to live? Have you turned your back to him and said, all that you've done for me, I don't care. I'm going to go my own way. We are all betrayers. We are all in the same boat. And so what we see in this garden the second time is we see Jesus, though everybody around him once again betrays him and fails and falls away, we see Jesus is going to absorb their betrayal. Even in his time of need, as he faces death, as he stands before Pilate, as he gets sentenced to death, as he gets flogged mercilessly, as he gets hung on the cross, as he hangs there dying, gasping for breath, as he's thrown into a, a, into a stranger's tomb, he's absorbing the betrayal that's been done to you and he's, been betray- and he's absorbing the betrayal that we have done to each other. And he's absorbing, more importantly, the betrayal that we have committed against the Father himself. In the garden, Jesus exchanges our betrayal for his faithfulness. In the garden, Jesus exchanges our betrayal for his faithfulness. There's a, there's a story in the Bible of a, a really terrible act of betrayal as the King David and, and, and he, he he layers betrayal on top of betrayal. He's got this very faithful like captain in his army and he's out fighting a war and David's sitting at home which is a whole other story and he's sitting on his roof and he looks out over the rooftops and he sees a naked woman taking a bath and she's beautiful and he says I must have her and he calls people calls his people to go bring her over and they sleep together and then and then on top of that, she gets pregnant. And so he has to figure out what he's going to do to fix the situation. So he takes his very faithful captain who, who's out fighting the war for David. And he tells them, he tells his, his man who's in charge, he says, take that man and put him on the very front of the line, knowing that he's going to get killed in battle. David betrays him. He sleeps with his wife. And then if that's not enough in order to fix the situation, he has this man, he sets up the man's murder. And then later on down the road, when God confronts him through Nathan, we have a prayer that Jesus, that, that David prayed to God about his sin. And he says a very interesting thing. He says, against you, praying to God, against you and you only have I sinned. Which doesn't really make any sense because he had sinned against Bathsheba and he sinned against her husband. They sinned against everybody who he had set up to make him take the fall. But he recognized that my betrayal is not just a betrayal against the people around me. It's a betrayal against God. And that has to be absorbed. That is a loss that has to be taken care of. That is a mark that has to be cleaned. And, and what do you do with betrayal except somebody has to absorb it? And Jesus stood in his moment of need. When everybody around him was faithless. And in the garden, he exchanges our betrayal for his faithfulness. He bears the betrayal that you and I have committed 
against God. He bears the betrayal that you and I have committed against other, and he against each other, and he bears the betrayal that has been committed against you. Because the betrayal that was committed against you was really committed against God Himself. And he takes it and he bears it. So that is what gives us the freedom to recover from betrayal because I don't have to absorb it. Christ absorbed it for me. The people who betrayed me, they're accountable to God for their betrayal and Jesus has paid for that. He's exchanged their betrayal for his faithfulness. And my betrayal of God and my betrayal of the people around me, he has taken that and he's exchanged that as well. In the garden, Jesus exchanges our betrayal for his faithfulness. So this morning as the band comes up and they're going to play, we're going to celebrate communion together. And as we take the bread and we dip it in the juice and we partake of that meal, we're remembering that meal that Jesus had with his boys in the upper room. When we do that, I want us to remember this morning that I have betrayed people around me. I have betrayed God himself. And people have betrayed me. But his body and his blood absorbed that took that betrayal and exchanged that betrayal for his faithfulness. So because of that, I can let the people around me off the hook and I can let myself off the hook through his sacrifice for me, his exchange. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you for the fact that, uh, that we, I thank you for the fact, ironically enough, that we are all betrayers. That nobody in this room is on any worse level, no matter what we've done, than anybody else. We're all in the same boat. We've been betrayed. We're a product of brokenness, and we just beget brokenness and beget brokenness. But yet, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross, you absorbed the betrayal that we have committed and was committed against us. And you, therefore, you have freed us by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I pray we'd be reminded of that this morning. And help us to repent of the ways that we have betrayed you and turn away from them. That as we see your love and your faithfulness, it would cause us to, to turn away. And the love that you've had for us, your grace to us would empower us to forgive the people who have wronged us, to seek forgiveness for the people around us, knowing that you have absorbed it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.